The following podcast contains bad language. Not bad at language, like Trump's lawyers. Bad language, like naughty words. Cover your ears, I guess. Hello and welcome to episode 305 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Lots of good stuff on the show today. We had uh, an update from LSAC <laughs> announcing, weirdly announcing different dates than they had previously. And I, I don't know what they're <laughs> confusing. Anyway, we have some new updates. Uh, we did a sufficient assumption question, a logical reasoning question from prep test 73. If you're not already perfect on sufficient assumption questions, man, that is a huge opportunity and you really need to get there. Um, so hopefully that discussion will be helpful. We, uh, did a couple different pearls versus turds. Um, Unsurprisingly, a lot of bad LSAT advice out there. Um, we had a whole email full of turds from Cooley Law School, sadly. <laughs> and then we dove into a bunch of stuff in the mailbag. We had the New York Times article about uh, law schools being over-enrolled for this cycle and offering people thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars to not go to law school this year. That's a new one. Have you ever seen anything like that in your career? Nope. First time ever. Uh, yeah, it's new. Yeah. And then we had a question about uh, if you want to practice IP law, um, should you pay attention to the overall rankings or should you pay attention to the specialized uh, IP rankings, which Ben just cringed. He made a face about how terrible it is to pay attention to those stupid specialized rankings. We agreed that you should go to the best law school you can go to for free. Uh before we dive in, just a couple of uh, dates. Uh, this show is going to air on Monday, July 5th. Happy, hope you had a happy, uh, safe 4th of July. Um, Saturday, August 14th is the next, uh, that's the start of the August LSAT testing week. Um, and you have up until August 25th to decide whether you want to register for the October LSAT. If you're studying for the August LSAT, I hope you'll come study with us for free at lsatdemon.com. Uh, I do a very fun study group every Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. And all you need is an LSAT Demon account to get invited to um, that weekly class. Hope to see you there. Cool. All right, let's dive in. Yeah. Hey, you put this on the agenda. What's uh, what's this update from the law school admission council? Yeah, I got this uh, email. Um, Just it's yesterday, about, it looks like. Yeah, it's about the August LSAT registration uh -huh. deadlines. <laughs> the first thing is stupid. It's just uh, their first sentence is, the purpose of this communication is to share with you some information about important <laughs> deadlines regarding the August <laughs> LSAT. It's like... <laughs> The purpose of this communication is to share with you some information. Okay. That's the definition of communication. Um, <laughs> mostly what emails are for. Okay. And the subject line itself is important information about the August LSAT. So instead the, of putting the information, yeah, you put the words important information. Yeah. It's very, very redundant of them. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And unnecessary. So please listeners don't ever write like this. Yeah. Um, but anyways, the, the, we have some L August LSAT test dates. We, I think already knew these they're August 5th, 14th and 15th. And I guess Tuesday, August 17th as well. 
The 19th is for accommodated test takers, apparently, who got accommodations for paper and pencil. So that is a thing. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, okay. So one thing I noticed here is that LSAC always uses this phrase, unscored variable section, to refer to the <laughs> experimental section. Right. Everybody out in the world always just says experimental section. Well, same thing as they call logic games analytical reasoning. Yes. No one ever right? does that. Yeah. Right. So, okay. Yep. Yep. So if, you, if you're confused, if you see that and you're like, oh, wait, what the heck is the unscored variable section? That's just the experimental section, which can be any of the three sections and it can appear at any time. And they use that to pretest future questions. Uh, it won't be scored. Man. You can't tell which one is the unscored variable section. So don't even try. Don't try. If you, nope. if you see logic games that look weird, they that does not mean that that's the unscored variable section. That yep. could easily be the scored section. You can't tell, so stop trying to tell. Just exactly. do your best on all four of the sections. Only three of them will count. You don't need to worry about it. The other thing that stuck out to me is that uh, when they announced the online four-section version, so we have three graded sections, plus this experimental section. Yeah. They said it would be around for at least two to three years. And then in this email, LSAC writes, the LSAT will continue to be administered in an online, live, remote, proctored format through June 2022. Well, I mean, that's not inconsistent with it also being administered in that way for another two years after that. But I did think, it <laughs> but was, it is a different deadline. Yeah, it is a you know or a an oddly specific date. and shorter uh, time frame than what they were asserting before, and I just want to share that. And <laughs> well, see what you thought? Uh, it's not surprising. They are um, consistent in their inconsistency. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like it definitely seems like the left hand does not know what the right hand is doing over there. Yeah. I mean, they just weirdly, you know. I, did you, did you, okay, a couple things. Yeah. Did you get any emails panicky on like Friday, Saturday from any students? Cause no, I did. Maybe no, that's I because did. I check the help at LSAT oh, yeah, yeah. or mm-hmm. sorry, um, help at thinking LSAT.com and, uh, daily now for the new podcast, uh, by the way, LSAT demon daily. It's a new podcast. Go check it out. Um, it's not on Apple Podcasts yet because Apple Podcasts sucks, but it's on Spotify and other places. So <laughs> go check it out if you can't get enough of uh, thinking LSAT, LSAT Demon Daily. But anyway, um, I got two emails from panicky students because on, of course, Friday, LSAC sends out like, you know, right before closing the shop, LSAC <laughs> sends out two e- sends out emails to people telling them, hey, there's a problem with your June 2021 LSAT. Uh, there's been an incident with, and we're, we're, we're reviewing it with Proctor U and on at least one of the emails, it said, we'll, we'll be back to you with a resolution by July 9th. Whoa. The fucked up thing about that is that they just went out of their way to say, Hey, we're going to release the June LSAT scores ahead of the Friday, July 2nd deadline for registering for the august lsat yeah they went out of their way to say hey the scores are going to come out on what is it june 30th or whatever the scores are going to come out in time so that you have time to you know they were like patting themselves on the back about that oh we're early we're early just for you 
consumer yeah, just friendly. for you, just to get, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then they send this email and the email had no information. Mm-hmm. And both of the students were like panicked about, Hey, what did I do? I thought it went perfectly well. I ripped up my scratch paper perfectly on the camera. I did everything the proctor asked me to do. There were no anomalies. And now all of a sudden there's an incident for, for two of these people. That's I just so feel odd. so, I feel so sorry for these poor kids, you know? Cause it's like, I, I really, it doesn't seem to me like LSAC understands how seriously students take this test yeah which is ironic because it's like this multi-million dollar empire (laughs) you know like they think that it's a huge deal but they don't realize that students also think that it's a huge deal and that they're gonna like lose sleep if you send them these vague emails about there being a problem with their something yeah well the the email timing is odd it's like when you send someone a disturbing email like that, like we had an incident, <laughs> unverified, yeah. it would be much better to say what it is. But since they don't yeah. know what it is, my question is, okay, why why didn't you know about this a long time ago so you could figure it out and then tell them before this? That's deadline? also what these students said. They're like, hey, I took the test two weeks ago. Yeah or two weeks plus. Yeah. And now you're telling me that there's a problem with my thing and it's going to take another like 10 days plus to, you know, to sort it out. And you're giving me no, like just don't even email them. Yeah. (laughs) Why? I mean, I guess they have to now, right? Because they said the scores would come out and they are not going to come out for those students, but they really should have. That's why they have this time. They need this time to figure these things out. And it's like, no, no, we need extra time for the incidents. Um, okay. It's like they just are going out of their way to make it as stressful and scary as they can for for these poor applicants. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, well, you know... By the way, I tacked on this update that I was just going through. I, I tacked that on to the last episode of Thinking LSAT. So that, mm. that actually did go out to everybody yesterday. So, and, and my point of sending that out was like, I wanted to try to reassure people like, well, listen, you're not the only one because I got it from multiple people. Doesn't sound like there's anything you did. Cause I got it from multiple people, unless you were part of some like cheating ring that I, yeah. you know, but then I don't think you'd be emailing me about it. <laughs> if you knew you did something, I don't think you'd be emailing me. Hey man, my side gig is taking off. I, I have... <laughs> you're under multiple desks at <laughs> <Yeah>. once <laughs> providing the answers. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think you did anything. You're not the only one. There's definitely nothing you could do about it. Mm-hmm. So, don't worry. I mean, there's just, there's nothing you can do to control it. So there's no point in worrying about it. <laughs> That's my only, you know, condolences slash reassurance, I guess, that I can offer people. And make sure you're registered for August, right? Because yeah, definitely get it. registered. I mean, uh, of course, LSAC, you know, they, it's almost like they run their whole system on um, appeals and exemptions. Right. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I'm pretty sure that these students, like, yeah, they're not signed up in time for the deadline, but LSAC fucked you. Be, you know, like the re- <laughs> you, they did something, they flagged something on your account. I'm pretty sure that they would let you sign up late if you kicked and screamed about it. I'm sure. Um, I'm pretty sure they would too. But just you know what, two hundred dollars yeah, yeah. to assure that you don't give them one more excuse to make your life even more. Yeah. Complicated. Hey, this is why we continually harp on the idea that if you were ready to take it in June, you probably should just go ahead and sign up for August. Or you know, hey, if if your score actually is going to be released in time, you you could wait and see that score. Um, mm and then sign up for August. You should probably also be planning on taking it in October and November if necessary. You just got to like fight the long war. Yeah. The general rule of thumb is if you're not happy with your score or you don't know your score by the registration deadline for the next test, you should be registered for it. Yeah. You also should continue to study during the three weeks that you wait for your scores to come back. We say this over and over and over. And some people listen to our advice. Many, many people don't. Like tomorrow, the scores are going to come out, right? Yep. (laughs) And tomorrow, we're going to get a million people are going to sign up for the demon (laughs) because they're unhappy with their June score. Yep. And it's like, I appreciate, I, I, I appreciate every single student we get. And I, you know, like, I want to help you as much as, as I possibly can. But I also have been telling you over and over and over not to waste those three weeks because the August LSAT is going to be here before you know it. And it's just so dumb to, well, maybe I did okay. I'll just, I'll wait and see how I did. And then <laughs> we just get this, like every single time the scores are released, we get emails from happy students, which we love to get those, you know, like, hey, guys, I did it. You know, get, send yeah. us your scores. We, we, love to, we love that. Help at thinkinglsat.com. Please let us know how you did. Yeah. <laughs> we get a mountain of those ones, and we're always like, great, high five, you're done. Awesome. Yeah. But then we also get a mountain of like, well, it, did, it didn't go as well as I thought. I'm really embarrassed to admit that I, <laughs> and it's like, that's not surprising. You knew you you knew you weren't ready for the test in the first place slash you knew that you didn't do as well as you wanted to. Then you just sat there and did absolutely nothing for three weeks. And now you're like, you know, when I hear people talking about shaking the rust off. Yeah. It's like, God damn it. Why did you let that rust (laughs) accumulate? Like, that's just (laughs) all you got to do is a little bit every day. Yeah. People make it much, you know, the, that's why people, that's one of the big reasons why people end up taking a year or a year and a half or two years to finally get the LSAT behind them is that every time they take an official test, they then just don't do shit for weeks or months. Yeah. <laughs> and then they end up coming back to it, like starting over from square one. It's just not the best way to do it, y'all. All right. Um, What do we got next? A logical reasoning question. Okay. Cool. This is from prep test 73, section two, question 10. I'll read it. I'm going to stop after every sentence and I'm going to let Ben react to it. Mm -hmm. And this is, we're meant to like demonstrate here the way that we would be thinking about it and the way we would be processing it 
as we go. Yeah. Okay. So an actor starts with Bertolt Brecht's plays are not genuinely successful dramas. Okay. I don't know where this actor is going with this argument, but that first sentence sounds a lot like a conclusion. If you're telling me that someone's plays aren't successful dramas, they're not, they suck. I'm like, okay, you're going to back that up or are you going to use that as evidence for something else? They might, but I'm anticipating them to tell me why they're not genuinely successful. Yeah, and it's worth pointing out here that there weren't any keywords there. There wasn't any, you know, uh, the words of logic like therefore and so yep. and mm -hmm. that indicate conclusions. Um, that wasn't there at all. Ben just saw that and went, ooh, you're attacking Bertolt Brecht's plays, you know, and, and he immediately goes on well i was gonna say goes on the defensive but you're defending your guy bertolt brecht potentially right you're mm -hmm. like hey what do you mean the plays are not successful dramas yeah what are you talking about right and you're expecting evidence to come from here i would expect it yeah uh, yep and we'll see yeah you don't have to be right the turn mm -hmm. that could turn out to be a premise but yeah you're already on the right track because you're like hey that sounds like a conclusion and i don't buy people's conclusions on the lsat i I expect evidence to support conclusions and I'm going to probably find fault with whatever evidence you provide. I'm probably going to say, Hey, that evidence doesn't really add up to this conclusion. Yeah. But, uh, spotting that, that you think that, you know, this actor is attacking Bertolt Brecht and you're immediately ambulance chasing sort of, right? You're like, Oh really? You want to attack somebody? Well, I'm an attorney. Um, so Let's hear your evidence for that yeah. before you make that allegation. All right. Second yeah. sentence says the roles in Brecht's plays express such incongruous motives and beliefs that audiences, as well as the actors playing the roles, invariably find it difficult at best to discern any of the characters' personalities. <laughs> okay. There's a lot packed in there. Yep. But... I know a couple things. I know that there's something incongruent about Brecht's plays, something about the roles that makes it hard for the actors and the audiences to figure out the characters' personalities. So what I'm imagining right now is the people, people are watching these plays, people are even performing in these plays, and they don't know, <laughs> they don't quite capture or understand the character's personality. So there's definitely some sort of disconnect going on. The incongruent or incongruous motives and beliefs um, makes it seem like these actors or characters are doing one thing and then doing something else that would like leave you wondering what their real motive is. You're just confused. Um, okay. Let's assume that that's true, that we don't know their personalities. Does that mean that the dramas aren't successful? Maybe people like that. I have no idea. Uh, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. And so to like abstract what you just did there, Ben, Ben is expecting to find support for that first sentence, which now is looking even more like probably the conclusion of the argument mm -hmm. in that second sentence. Ben is like, Whoa, that's a lot. There's a lot going on there. But I think what you just said is something about the incongruous motives and, 
uh, we can't discern the characters' personalities. And then what Ben did is he accepted that as a fact because he thinks that that's a premise of the argument. And so he's saying, oh, well, okay, you're allowed to present evidence and I'm not going to argue with your evidence itself. So mm. granting that we can't discern any of the characters' personalities in any of Bertolt Brecht's plays. Yep. Right? <laughs> it's like you're almost giving them not extra credit, but you're you're willing to give them full credit for their premise. Yep. Right? Yeah. And then you immediately go, yeah, but that doesn't mean that the plays are not genuinely successful dramas. Yeah. You even said, maybe people like that. <laughs> maybe that's exactly what makes a drama successful, right? You could have yeah. gone that far even. Yeah. I mean, at this okay. point, we don't know. I, I, at the same time, I, I could see why that might be a problem. Of course. But I need more to get to that logical yeah. conclusion. This is yeah. not willful ignorance. Like, we're not, we're not idiots. Yeah. Right? So, like, you can certainly go. It's almost like when you're having a beer, you know, with your colleague, you go afterward, you know, and the colleague could be the attorney on the other side. Right. And you're yeah. like, well, of course, if you can't discern any of the characters personalities, that sounds like a pretty garbage play to me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's not in the record. I, and yeah, exactly. I agree. Since that's not you're in the record. Right. But you haven't proven it yet. Right. You're probably right. But that's exactly what we're going to have to fight about because the record is incomplete. Okay, perfect. Last sentence says, but for a play to succeed as a drama, and it's like, do you sense there, Ben? Yeah, that like, I'm ready. They almost, they're going to get there almost, right? Yeah. You think they're going to make it. Yeah. If, but then they don't. Yeah. <laughs> they say, audiences must care what happens to at least some of its characters. Uh, yeah, this could have been... This could have been a, a home run if they had just said, but for a play to succeed as a drama, audiences must be able to discern at least some of its characters' personalities or something like that. Yeah, and just discern like, the characters' personalities, oh, period. they can't do that. We know they can't do that, so they can't be successful because to succeed, you would have to be able to do that. But no, this actor, who is an actor, by the way, not a... Logician, I guess, or Elsa yeah. <laughs> said that audiences must care about what happens to at least some of its characters. Okay, well, I get it. To succeed, the audience has to care about its characters, or at least some of them. Yep. Um, okay, do they not care? We know that they don't discern any of the characters' personalities, but could you not discern the personalities and yet still care? about the characters. Maybe you don't know the personality of your nephew. I still don't get it, but I care about my nephew. So I don't know. Um, and again, at the attorney, the local attorney watering hole, you know, yeah. or the bar association mixer or whatever, you're, you're probably going like, well, yeah, I mean, if you can't even tell the characters apart, if you can't discern the characters' personalities, then I can certainly see why it would be very difficult to care about those characters. Sure. You're willing to probably grant that off the record. Mm -hmm. But on the record, you're like, wait a second. Yeah, what I have, maybe I have the world's most boring nieces and nephews 
who they I forget their names. I can't tell the difference between them, but I can still care about them. <laughs> Off the record, right? Yeah. Or sorry, on the record, because th- this actor has just not proven their case. Yeah. Excellent. And okay. now you feel really strongly that that first sentence was the conclusion of the argument? Yeah, that's definitely the conclusion. The next two sentences are the pieces of evidence that the actor is using to try to prove that conclusion. There's definitely some elements there, right? It talks about what it needs to, what a play needs to be to be successful. And then um, it talks about some problems with the play. But those two facts combined aren't enough to prove that the plays aren't successful. So really no indicator words there. Mm -mm. I mean, there's that, but which often introduces a conclusion. And some people go so far as to incorrectly say, Oh, the word, but, or however introduces a conclusion. No, it doesn't. All it does is show contrast from what you just Um, said. Sometimes students ask us for like, okay, give me the list of the indicator words because I need to memorize the list of the indicator words. And we actually encourage you not to try to do that because in this argument, for one thing, I don't think there were any, you no, there aren't any useful indicator words in this actor's argument. Mm -hmm. Not only that, but Ben was able to figure out that that first sentence was probably the conclusion. Why? Just because it seems like Bertolt Brecht is under attack and you're expecting that if somebody's being attacked, there's probably going to be some evidence behind that attack. Absolutely. And for sure. I mean, I could see this argument going in a different direction where that is turned around and used as evidence. But after reading the next two sentences, it's pretty clear that those two are being used to support the first rather than the other way around or rather than just a bunch of facts. It wouldn't make any sense if that first sentence was meant to be a premise in support of the later two sentences. Then the argument would be like nonsensical. Yeah. Right. The argument isn't proven, but the argument does make sense. You can again follow. at the yeah yeah at the bar association mixer, you're standing there going, oh I yeah I get it. If you can't tell any difference between the characters, then it's probably pretty hard to care about the characters, and you got to care about the characters in order for it to be successful. So it's not successful, but probably you're right that it's not successful. But my client Bertolt Brecht is paying me a lot of money to defend him, and so you you understand the argument, even if you're not willing to grant the conclusion of the argument. Yeah. But the point I'm making is that you were able to figure out just simply, Hey, they gave you three sentences. It doesn't matter at all what order they gave you those sentences, by the way, Mm -hmm. but you still figured out, Hey, these second two sentences support the first. So the first is the conclusion. So I'm going to grant you your premises. The second two sentences, the third, the second and third sentence, I got to grant you those. Those are your evidence. Not going to argue about that stuff. But I am going to argue about whether those things prove the conclusion. All right. So the question then says, the conclusion of the actor's argument can be properly drawn if which one of the following is assumed. Okay. That's a sufficient assumption question, which is actually asking us to find an answer choice that will, in combination with the other two premises, prove the conclusion. So now, yeah. if I were to add this as a third premise, 
this argument would be sound. Yeah. By the way, I don't know if you have the same reaction. I, I think you probably do, but I try to get this across in classes all the time at LSAT Demon. When I see a sufficient assumption question, that's like Yahtzee, like awesome, like fantastic. Sufficient assumption question? Fantastic. Why? Well, why am I so happy to see a sufficient assumption question stem? My guess is if it's any similarity to, to my, my happiness, it comes from the fact that the answer is very easy to predict because there are only so many ways you can fix the argument. And there's only so many ways you can make the argument win. Yeah. And, right? and there are certain ways you have to, like there are certain problems here you have to, to address like in a necessary assumption question you could have three necessary assumptions and all of them would be necessary and picking one of them would be correct and <laughs> you wouldn't have to address the other two and so they may not appear in any of the five answer choices whereas here there's a problem when it goes from care <laughs> caring to, uh, or I'm sorry, from what discerning the personalities to not caring, right? Like that's a jump. And if we don't resolve that, I don't know how we're going to get to the conclusion. I think it's fair to say that there are infinite necessary assumptions for every argument mm -hmm. because I could come up with infinite weakeners and each one of those weakeners could be reversed into a necessary assumption of the argument. Sure. Just um, like a bunch of not statements, right? Yep. And because there are infinite necessary assumptions, there are also just infinite strengtheners, right? Strengthen question, uh, st the strengthen category turns out to be one of the hardest types of LSAT questions because there's such a broad range of possible answers. Sufficient assumption questions. When you see, like, you should never, ever miss a sufficient assumption question. Yeah. It's the biggest opportunity. If you ever are missing sufficient assumption questions, you gotta you gotta fix that that hole in your game because there's no reason to ever miss a sufficient assumption question. It's very formulaic. It's once you once it clicks for you, you're gonna realize, oh shit, that's all there is to it. There's a conclusion. There's some evidence. We need to figure out how to make that evidence force the conclusion to be true. And there's usually only one way to get there. And Ben, do you have a prediction for this argument? Again, the evidence was it's difficult to discern the characters' personalities. And in order for a play to succeed as a drama, audiences must care what happens to at least some of the characters. And the conclusion is, therefore, these plays are not genuinely successful dramas. Yeah, my prediction right now is that if you can't discern any of the characters, then you can't care about them. Perfect. Yeah. And, and this goes right back to our initial objection, right? Like one mm -hmm. of Ben's very first objections was, well, wait a second. I mean, I can care about my nieces if they, maybe they don't have discernible personalities, but I can still care about them. Yeah. And on a sufficient assumption question, we, he knows now that he has to fix that problem in the argument. He has to bridge that gap. And that's like a hundred percent just going to be the answer. A says, an audience that cannot readily discern a character's personality will not take any interest in that character. Okay. Uh, that's very close to what I predicted. It doesn't use the word care. It says any interest, but 
if you can't if you don't take any interest in a character i don't see how you could care about them so to me that doesn't seem like a big difference to worry about yeah the lsat is never about just matching words it's about matching the meaning Hmm. and if you can't take any interest well then that's the same thing as you can't care Mm -hmm. and that's got to be the answer yeah. B, a character's personality is determined primarily by the motives and beliefs of that character. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, we already know that the audience can't discern any of the character's personalities, so how that personality is determined doesn't really matter to me. I, I yeah, guess. and it's, you know, like we're taking the time here to actually debunk these answers, but in real life, Anybody who's any good at the LSAT at all, if you if you have any idea what you're doing on logical reasoning, you're just going to go, no, the answer has to say, if you can't discern the personalities, then you can't care about the characters. Yeah. And so B doesn't say that. If B doesn't say that, then I don't give a shit what B says. Mm-hmm. Right. In real life, we're going to dismiss that answer in like, what, two seconds, yeah. maybe. Yep. C, the extent to which a play succeeds as a drama is directly proportional to the extent to which the play's audiences care about its characters. Okay, we already know from the last sentence that to succeed, audiences have to care. Um, this doesn't. And we already it, know it's necessary. We already know that care. it's necessary. This like adds an element of like the more you want to care the more you succeed and vice versa, but it, it doesn't address the gap, which is okay, but do the audiences care? We don't know. Um, so it doesn't help us. Yeah. I mean, like we have, we, we, I always used to talk about the golden gate bridge when I would teach sufficient assumption, you know, it's like, Hey, is this going to get me from the Richmond district to Sausalito? Cause if it's not like, I got to get from, San Francisco to Marin County. If I'm not getting from San Francisco to Marin County, then that is not the answer for this question. Like it has to bridge the gap. Mm -hmm. So doubling down on like, let me tell you more about San Francisco or let me tell you more about Marin County. Neither Mm -hmm. one of those are going to get there, right? We have to build the bridge. Um, D if the personalities of a play's characters are not readily discernible by the characters playing the roles, then those personalities are not readily discernible by the play's audience. Um, sorry, I was thinking about your bridge analogy, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me just read this really quick. So if the personalities are not readily discernible, okay, then those personalities are not readily. Okay, wait, this is just saying if the actors <laughs> can't figure out the personalities, then the um, audience can't figure it out. Again, it, it doesn't close the gap, so we're done, but it also doesn't, matter because we already know that both the actors and the audience can't discern the characters personalities so i don't need to like jump from the uh, actors to the audience i already know that the audience can't discern it's both c and d are like doubling down on the evidence like giving you more more, yeah like really about evidence that already is in the record yeah we were willing to you know we were willing to give full credit for the evidence. I'm not, we're not arguing about whether the audience can or cannot discern the characters' personalities. We know it's a fact. The audiences don't get, can, cannot tell the difference between these characters. Yeah. 
And Dee's like giving more about that, but it's like, no, no, no. Does that mean that they don't care about the characters? Doesn't say that, so that's not the answer. E, all plays that, unlike Breck's plays, have characters with whom audiences empathize succeed as dramas. Uh, I bet some people are tempted by this. It's, That's a terrible answer, though, really, right? Once you terrible. know what you're doing, it's garbage. It's it's terrible. But what it's saying is that if if the audience empathizes, then it succeeds. And so... It's, it's confusing, like, sufficient for necessary. Yeah, so and people think, but who cares? It still doesn't connect the gap. It's also not bridging the gap. Nope. <laughs> like, I don't give a shit. I'm yeah. trying to hang this guy Brecht, right? I, we're, we're trying to convict brecht of having plays that are not successful mm-hmm. e is like well if other people who make different plays are successful i don't care that is not it's not going to help me convict this guy brecht yeah answer turns out to be a totally predictable sufficient assumption questions are easy i really want to get that point across if you don't already think that sufficient assumption questions are easy You've got work to do, and I know for sure we can help you. Like, I just, this is a guarantee. I can probably improve your LSAT score by three or four points in a week. Yeah. By just making sure that you know the difference, that you can recognize this as a sufficient assumption question, and then just predict the answer every single time. There, by the way, there are sufficient assumption questions that are easy, medium, and hard, there are sufficient assumption questions that are at the beginning, middle, and end of a logical reasoning section. No matter what your level is, I don't care if you're 135 or 155 or 175. Yeah. If you don't get every single sufficient assumption question right, you're just leaving points on the table that you could easily be getting. Yeah. Okay, cool. I think that's the big, the, the really big lesson is just like, Boy, when I see a sufficient assumption question, my eyes light up, you know, that's like just a freebie once you know what you're doing. All right. Uh, pearls versus turds time. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. This uh, was emailed in to help at thinking Uh Please do send us your, uh, <laughs> your tips. Um, this is coming to us from uh, Western Michigan University Cooley Law School. Okay. Do we know anything about Cooley? I, 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 I it rings a, a uh, bell that is not, um, good. Not, yeah. <laughs> like when I hear Cooley, I do not think positive thoughts, but that, let me, let me take a quick look at the ABA 509. Uh, this is, uh, by the way, ABA Standard 509 Report. American Bar Association requires schools to publish lots of information about their school. This is a trash law school. Um, the 75th percentile LSAT at this school, Ben, is 149. Oh, that's not good. That is not good. The uh, 75th percentile undergraduate GPA is a 3.1. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this just, it just cannot be a law school that reliably produces successful lawyers with those numbers. It just can't be, wow. um, <laughs> they don't, they don't give you the uh, tuition they give them. It looks like they've reported the tuition on a per credit basis, <laughs> which is annoying. It's a uh, $1,400 a credit, uh, 
probably, let's see, 1400, probably times 30, right? So we're looking at a $42,000 a year law school. And their admission standards are so low that I just don't, I cannot imagine. I mean, I'm not saying that everybody that goes to Cooley fails at law. I, in fact, I'm certain that many people who go to Cooley do succeed in the law. But I am, <laughs> I am also willing to bet that probably the majority of people who go to Cooley end up not successfully practicing law, like using their law degree to be a lawyer. Yeah. Right? I mean, those numbers are just abysmally low. Anyway, uh, <laughs> they, they have some uh, admissions, <laughs> this, this headline. Was the, we were clowning on it in our uh, teacher <laughs> Slack. <laughs> we, we, ben and I both, and all of our teachers were mad. This the headline is "Admissions Secrets to Conquering Your LSAT Prep." <laughs> with admissions with an apostrophe S, which I was yelling about right away because it was like I don't I don't think that's wrong necessarily. It's just, couldn't you have written something else? Why did you have to, why did you choose to write a headline with admissions? Well, they're taking yeah, the ownership. Word. Right. Like it, it's like their secrets, I guess. So admissions <laughs> yeah. is like a, it's like a, what is it? It's, it's a group. I'm not sure what is possessing the secrets, but either way, they later say our seasoned admissions team and they don't use the apostrophe S there. So that's. At least inconsistent, as far as I can tell. They're both describing Well, no, because it's possessive. So later, when you're talking about when they say, here are a few words of advice from our seasoned admissions team. Yeah. Okay, they're just sure. describing themselves as okay. the admissions team. That's but fair. in the headline, it was possessive because it's yeah. admissions' secrets to conquering your LSAT prep. Which, <laughs> conquering your LSAT prep? I don't, conquering the LSAT, maybe. I don't know that sure. you need to conquer the prep for that but anyway <laughs> words are difficult i guess um all right uh, let's see want to see some of these tips yeah let's see it cool how to prepare for the lsat be disciplined in your studying planning and committing to big blocks of study time five to six days a week is more than reasonable Identify the type of test preparation and learning techniques that work best for you and use this to your advantage. The fuck does that mean? Well, first of all, they don't clarify what they mean by big blocks of study time. So Already, that's a turd. Yeah, it's a turd. for. <laughs> we're saying one to two hours for most students. They're saying big blocks. People could walk away with this thinking they need a full-time job for studying for the LSAT. Yeah, which other prep companies that shall not be named are notorious for mountains of homework and you've got to study basically full-time for the LSAT for three months. Yeah. Right. Which is it's it's counterproductive. Yeah. It actually scares people away from doing the little bit every day that might make a difference. Yeah. I mean, imagine hiring a coach for your gym workout and they said, OK, well, I expect to see you here at eight o'clock and uh, we probably won't be done until three or four. It's like, really? Yeah. You don't work, do you? You don't have a job, do you? Because uh, this is going to be a full time. You need big blocks five to six days a week. 
this is a full-time endeavor. Yeah, you're exhausted after the first day. Come back to the next day. You're just going to be like withering away. But <laughs> Hey, you just don't even show up for the first day. What? I mean, what? The gym for eight hours? <laughs> Kidding me? <laughs> I have a life. I have work, school, family. No. Well, it's um, just not even effective too, right? Like if you're really committed to that goal. Yeah. Identify the type of test preparation and learning techniques that work best for you. Oh, that's well, the that, part. I, mm, that's useful. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, I, I'm going to go do that now. That's like do good on the LSAT. Pick the correct answers. Avoid the wrong ones. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, all right. This is already a turd, but let's hear more of their great advice. Uh, Focus on improving the skills you identified as weaker areas during your practice tests. Parentheses <laughs> S. Practice tests. We want to be technically accurate because some of you may have just taken one practice test <laughs> yeah. and some of you may have taken two or more. That means building and adjusting your study protocols as you go forward. So high level, it's ridiculous. Well, I mean, it's, it's like true enough, but it's also like totally obvious, right? Like, yeah. What are you missing? <laughs> Maybe work on that. Okay. Bullet points now. Are you struggling with logic exercises? <laughs> what is Spend extra time on different logic games until your approach becomes second nature. So in other words, practice the test. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. okay. How about this part? This is where you for sure know that whoever wrote this has no fucking clue what they're talking about. Yep. Not a great communicator? Question mark. Uh, by the way, side note. Lawyers are professional readers and writers. Lawyers are professional communicators. That is the job. If you're not a great communicator, that's fine but this is not the field for you. I mean, here Cooley is basically acknowledging that they still want you to come to their law school, even if you're not a great communicator. Wow. Wow. Which is like criminal. But anyway, not a great communicator. Practice articulating your thoughts on paper so you can better master the written portion. Okay, so... <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? We have... Two what? sections of the test that have been addressed. The logic games and the written portion. One, <laughs> the very important. One, not important at all. But the other two have not even been mentioned. <laughs> How did this get any airtime? Oh, I, I mean, this makes it very clear that they are a marketing department. And, you know, I just I can only infer that Cooley is basically a marketing company. It's bizarre and, because they're the ones that would receive the written portion. They don't, they don't, well, they apparently don't even care about the LSAT score. Cause I mean, if their 75th percentile is a 149. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ben, their 75th percentile is well below the average LSAT score of all the people who take the test. That's crazy. I mean, they're just like, the their best are worse than average. <laughs> and this is, yeah. <laughs> And most law schools are like selective where they would never even accept a 153 or whatever the average is of all the LSAT scores that are out there in the entire universe. You know, yeah. most law school, most like credible law schools are like, oh yeah, we don't, 
Like we need lawyers who are going to win cases. So like our bare minimum is like 160. And here at Cooley, it's like the, you're like a superstar. If you even approach average on the LSAT. That is not good. Not, good not a good all. investment yeah, of time and money. Just a business. Just a business. Yeah. Um, the writing sample, the writing portion is not scored. It has nothing to do with preparing for the LSAT. We every day say when people ask us about the writing sample, we say, oh yeah, it's not scored. Don't worry about it. Watch one video. We have videos on it. Watch a video for 15 minutes and then immediately do the writing sample. You do not need to prepare for, or even think about the writing and this is like, <laughs> yeah, right next to logic games. This is their second most important thing. Uh, okay, they go on. Read things that will improve your critical thinking, enhance your vocabulary, and improve your ability to synthesize information such as, and then they give you a helpful list of stuff to read. Textbooks required when taking courses in critical thinking, philosophy, history, or English. Ben, is that a good LSAT tip? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> because what should you be doing if you're trying to improve your LSAT score? You should be doing reading comp passages and logical reasoning passages. And we have 90 something down. tests. We have 9,000 LSAT questions that we can Official study. Official LSAT questions. It's crazy. <laughs> Real LSAT questions that were the actual LSAT. If you want to improve your LSAT score, you need to be doing LSAT. Not read investigative news articles by reputable news sources or literature that further explores topics that promote your ability to establish causation and logic. What? Like, this advice is so vague, too, that what are people actually going to walk away and do? They're like, oh, yeah, I'm looking for literature that explores topics that might promote my ability to establish causation. I, I don't like need to, to read any more of this bullshit, do you? <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, that is a turd. There's a lot of them out there. Y'all. So be careful, please. Um, we now on the, uh, all time leaderboard here, uh, we have 15 pearls, 49 turds and 23 ties. And it's just, it's just a shame. I, I mean, it, they're, they are not helping anybody. They might think they are, but they, they're not. Well, there's a link here that says download the LSAT prep guide. And then, of course, when you click on that, you have to put in your name and email address and phone number. And yeah, it's just no, it's clickbaity, like it's, just yeah. trying to get applications. They want to take the money for your application fee and they. Uh, it's just it's bad, bad times. Yep. Um. Ben, did you, did you know that we started the podcast in 2014? I did not know that. <laughs> it's a long time ago. The, yeah, <laughs> the, uh, the pearls versus turd scoreboard right now is running very badly on a percentage basis. Hmm. What's the percentage? Oh, I don't know. I, you could roughly calculate it if you wanted to, but it ain't good. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, ready for another pearl, yeah. pearls versus turd? Yep. Two in a row. Uh, from a new demon user. <clears throat> in the LSAT trainer, a drill was suggested to go to old tests 
and mark the conclusion and support of LR as quickly as possible. Oh my God. It's so funny because it's like, I hope that this user, well, I don't know if I hope. I, we don't know if this is exactly what was suggested, right? But regardless of whatever was suggested, this is what the user thought was suggested. And this, this is from a decently like popular resource out there, right? And this is bad. Why, why would you ever do that? Why wouldn't you just practice logical reasoning? Well, I don't know, but it, I could see people being tempted by this sort of suggestion, right? They're like, oh, I'm going to go get good at identifying the conclusion and identifying the support, which is evidence in logical reasoning as quickly as possible. Well, now you're just <laughs> training yourself to do something that you actually don't want to do on test day. What are you going to do? You're going to go through the test and quickly identify the conclusion and evidence in each of the passages. And then what do you even understand them? What they have to, what people have to realize is that understanding the passage will lead you to know what the conclusion and the evidence in that passage is not the other way around. You people can, there are people who are like, Oh yeah, that right there is a conclusion. I, I can see that. And sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're wrong, but does that help them understand what's wrong with that argument, which is what really is going on? No. It's like you're practicing for something you're not actually going to do or you should not do. Well, this would only, presumably, this would only really be helpful for conclusion questions anyway. And how many conclusion questions are there on a typical test? Two? I don't even know if it's helpful in a conclusion question because <laughs> right. I'm, I'm trying to be generous. Like maybe it would be helpful for that, but there's only like one of those per test. Well, and the hard ones are the ones in which there is no obvious conclusion. Indicator. <laughs> and you certainly couldn't do it quickly. No, you have to you... <laughs> understand and then be like, Oh, okay. I get what you're trying to prove. Um, so oh and it's just bad as quickly okay. as possible. Right. It's just like, yeah. Reasonable minds can disagree, and the the LSAT trainer is like well respected. I I don't personally like it. It says to read the question stem first, which to me is like okay, I'm not listening to anything else you say. But that whatever, different styles for different folks, I suppose. But for my money, and I know for Ben's money, and if you want to study with us, if you're listening to us, and it seems like we make sense to you then I would offer you this one tip, which is the second somebody starts talking about how to go fast, that's not there. That don't listen to them. Like <laughs> that's not what we're doing. We're not, we're not racing the clock. We're not trying to go fast. We're trying to do careful, accurate work like a lawyer. And if we learn to do that, we'll go plenty fast, but it's not trying to go fast. That's not, that's not how this is done. And this seems like a drill that's just, yeah, it's like has the exact opposite of that whole like mojo to it where it's like, no, let's get a test and see how fast you can go through and identify the conclusion on every single one. By the way, how would students even know that they were right? A lot of questions don't indicate, oh, by the way, the second sentence was the main conclusion. 
What about when a passage doesn't even have a conclusion? And you identify it and you go. Yeah. Can't you just imagine somebody racing through like, I'm going to get a test. I'm going to go through the section. I'm going to identify all the conclusions and like underline the conclusion on all 25 of the questions. Well, guess what, folks? (laughs) There's not a conclusion in probably six, seven, eight. How many? 20%. Yeah. 20%. Okay. Five (laughs) of those. (laughs) There wasn't even a conclusion. Yeah. But you raced through and identified the conclusion. Okay. Or maybe you know 15. that and you said that this one didn't have a conclusion, but it did. How do you know? That's It's just the <laughs> yeah. bizarrest thing. <laughs> it's bizarre. 15 pearls, 50 turds, and 23 ties, which are basically turds. Um, please be careful out there in the LSAT uh, interwebs because there's just so much bad advice out there. Um, okay. Ready to do some uh, mailbagging? Yeah, let's do it. Read this first one for me. Gentlemen, I wanted to pass this along in case you hadn't seen it. By the time the papers print something, it's old news. You've been talking about the increased scores discussed in this article for months. I appreciate your insights on all things LSAT. Thanks, Jay. Um, wait. Okay, so what's this article? Son of a bitch. I always keep... I have like two different New York Times logins, and I continuously keep running out of free articles i'm not even sure we're going to be able to read this at least we got the headline okay i'm trying to log in overbooked law schools are trying to induce some students to put off enrolling all right so this year was gangbusters for law schools lots of people applied with high lsat scores were accepted and now they have more people in their classes than they can accommodate. Yes, it was the most competitive law school admission cycle ever. If you're sitting there on wait lists or if you have mediocre offers and you're thinking about going to law school this fall, don't, you should wait another cycle. It was just a seller's market. You know, unlike the stock market and unlike real estate, where we can't really predict the market, I do think we can kind of predict the law school market because we know that these schools are going to expand capacity if the business is really good. They've done it repeatedly throughout You just hire more professors, yeah. They just offer more classes. They just expand a little bit. And... There's, there, there's like waves of applicants that come in and some application cycles are just less competitive than others. And you probably are going to get a better offer next cycle. Kaylin, (laughs) we have staff that are like thinking about going to law school, you know, to schools that are not the best school or not really their dream school. And I just, just wait another year. Wait another two years. Like, like look at these facts. Of the 200 American law schools surveyed by the Law School Admission Council, 190 of them saw an increase in application volume. So all of them. Yeah. Virtually. Yeah. 
During the pandemic, prospective students have taken a shorter version of the test online with fewer sections than before. And lockdowns have provided more time to study with fewer distractions. This sounds like wild speculation yeah. on, behalf, oh, yeah. on the part of this New York Times author. <laughs> but anyway, um, how do you know that? Really? I've Okay. I mean, I, I, I know a lot of people who have kids, kids at home. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, but it is true, many students performed better. LSAC reported that the number of people getting top scores of 175 to 180 doubled in 2021 from the year before. Wow. And those in the next highest range, 170 to 174, rose by half. So that's a 50% increase in the number of 170s to 174s. And it's a doubling, a 100% increase in the number of people who scored 175 or higher. Hey, Nathan, let's chop off one section of the test and declare okay. with boldness that nothing will happen. It's it's no different than before. And then see what happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you're saying that maybe because they made it three sections instead of four and also slightly changed the balance to make logic games. I actually think it leads to higher scores when you make logic games more important. Yeah. Before, cause a lot of people were acing them, especially the top scores. Yeah. If you're going to, if you're going to score 170 or higher, you're probably going to ace the games. And what they did in the pandemic is they made the, the games used to be 25% of your score. And now the games are 33% of your score. And, and the test is shorter and there's was no experimental. It's the, like <laughs> the psychometricians that they always talk about and how they like so carefully craft the test, et cetera. It's like they did what <laughs> they were cool with that. They were I'm just sure like, they well, were yeah, like it'll, it'll be fine. They're like, no, it's going to be <laughs> different. And they're like, shut totally. up, shut up. <laughs> totally. They, yeah. The, the powers that be were just like, Shut up, psychometricians. Don't you realize Don't we're care. business? We're doing this. Yeah. This is how we're doing it. Even though there were clearly better ways to do it. As I've said before, they could have dropped a section of LR, dropped two reading comp passages, and dropped two games, and they would have kept the balance of the test the same. They would have actually cut the test in half instead of cutting it in a three, you know, one quarter. Mm-hmm without changing the balance of the test, but I don't know. I, what do I know? <laughs> um, okay. So anyway, Duke has promised $5,000 to students who accepted a binding deferral, which is a pledge to attend next year. University of Colorado law school tried the same amount and only got two takers, but to its relief, a few dozen have chosen not to enroll for other reasons leaving it with a more manageable class of about 180. Wait, so they got rid of seven people and that solved their problem? Seven? I said a few dozen. Oh, a few dozen. Okay. Oh. Man, if I were that school, I'd figure out how to seat a few dozen people. I don't understand. Yeah. No. Columbia University also dangled money in front of some students. $30,000 to join a newly minted exploration fellowship if they deferred. <laughs> in other words, we're going to create this fake thing. Really what we're doing is we're like, oh shit, we over-enrolled. Yep. It's like the f airlines when they over-enroll a flight, right? Over Oversell a flight. Yeah, and yeah. then they have to like beg you, pay you money, give you free shit. 
to not take the flight. That's what's happening here is they're giving 30, that's 30 grand from Columbia not to start law school this fall. Think about this, folks. Think about it. You're on the wait list right now, hoping to get in. Guess what? You're not going to because Columbia is out there offering $30,000 to people that they've already admitted to not go. So they're not going to open up <laughs> seats for you. No, yeah. they're not. No, it seems clear that the wait lists are not going to move. And anyway, even if they do move, they're just going to be like charging you 100% full price. Yeah, I absolutely do not understand actually why they're paying these people not to come. Law school is such a weird thing. All you do is sit in a classroom. Just tell your, they should be paying their professors to teach one more class. You could fit a hundred more people in that class. Oh boy. It was a bad year for law school admissions. Next year might also be a bad year for law school admissions. I mean, good for the schools, bad for you. Yeah. Um, but whatever, they're always going to be there. And we, you can go to law school for free. If you just follow our advice, apply early, apply broadly, apply with your best LSAT score. Don't pay for law school. Just refuse to pay for law school. If you're paying this year, I mean, you, you almost guaranteed could have gotten a better offer in any other cycle. Why are you in such a damn hurry? I don't know. All right. <laughs> That's that. One more. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Uh, thanks Jay, by the way, for emailing in that New York times article. Um, please do share stuff with us. News, uh, questions, hot tips. Uh, please send them in to, uh, help at thinking LSAT.com. I'll get you on the agenda for a future show. All right. Um, oh, this one also is from a Jay says, Hey, demon team. I started listening to the podcast recently after receiving a recommendation from a friend. I wish I'd known about the demon before I started studying for the LSAT by myself, even though I don't intend to take the test again. I appreciate the law school application tips in the podcast and have become an avid listener. I can already hear Ben saying, what do you mean you don't intend to take the test again? Does that mean that you have your best score? Did you exhaust your five attempts? Or are you starting your legal career on a shaky foundation? Anyway, my involvement in STEM research as an undergrad has motivated me to pursue a career in IP law. I have a question about deciding which schools to apply to. I think you would have addressed a similar question before, but I haven't found it yet listening to random episodes from your library. I want to attend the best school I can with a good GPA and a somewhat lackluster LSAT score. It's a 4.0 GPA, Ben, in a STEM field. Okay. And only a 168 LSAT. Whoa. Jay. Dude. <laughs> You have such a huge opportunity and you're about to just squander it. Once, not, 168 is not bad, but with 4.0 and STEM, you could literally go to Harvard, Stanford, Yale. You just but have you to work for a couple something. more months. Yeah. You need a 170 something. We just told you that there are twice as many 175s and higher and 50% more 170s to 174s. And if you settle for that 168, I'm sure you can do better. And you're about to settle for that 168. You just like, 
let other people beat you in this law school admissions game. It's a tragedy. You just need a few more points. It's like the magic lever, right? The LSAT score is the magic lever that moves everything when it comes to your application. Everything else, the GPA, it's hard to move, sometimes impossible to move if you're already graduated. Your experience, your resume, your personal statement, all these things, they're like mini levers. They don't they don't make a big difference. Yeah, it's like a, this is the one thing that you can actually do something about. I mean, and you have that 4.0, which is so awesome. Yeah. Like that, you can't fake that. You can't, you know, there's people who have a 3.5, which is fine, but they can't, you know, like they can't improve it because they already graduated. And you've got the 4.0, which is awesome. Like you are a candidate for literally Stanford. Harvard. Yeah. Yeah, but with a 168, those schools are going to go, what? That's below our 25th percentile. Maybe, you know, they probably will look at you because of the 4.0 and because of the STEM. But man, if you applied to those same schools with a 173, 174, whatever, get into their 50th percentile. And now 4.0 and STEM and an acceptable LSAT that's not going to lower their public record yeah that's like you know probably a presumptive admit i would think at those schools they want trust me they want stem like they <laughs> there's a lot of people who think they're going to go into ip who studied political science or some shit in undergrad that's just that's not going to happen yeah but people who actually studied stem yeah, there are IP lawyers and they are people who can actually understand the technology. That's it's you, Jay. You're that you're that person. But boy, you're just god, why not just squeeze out a few more LSAT points? It, it's like this is a stupid analogy, Ben, but it's like Jay's about to try to climb Everest without first like going to base camp. Right? <laughs> like you're you're like starting from way down the hill below base camp. And you're going to like try to go climb this mountain of IP law. All you got to do is work at it a little more, like do some training at altitude, hang out in base camp for a little while, get your 173. It's not that bad of an analogy, is it? Mm-mm. Okay. Anyway, let's finish Jay's email. I'm not sure if I should focus on schools that are well-ranked overall or schools better recognized for their IP law programs. Better recognized, Ben, by who? By themselves. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. By some stupid list like on US News of what? Yeah. So here, listen to this. For example, Virginia and Northwestern are commonly ranked in the top 14 schools overall, but fall sub 20 for IP law. Does not, I don't care at all. <laughs> I, I do know. not care about that at all. I do but not Ben. Care. Yeah. Conversely, Boston University and Illinois Tech rank in the top 14 for IP. No one cares. <laughs> Ben's upset. <laughs> Shaking his head for the listeners. These, yeah, these lists of IP bullshit, bullshit. If you want to practice IP law, yes, go to Virginia, go to Northwestern, go to the very best law school you can, no matter what you want to practice. Better law schools are better for everything. Yeah, go to the best law school you can go to for free. Yes. And man, you think you could get a full ride to UVA or Northwestern with a 4.0 and a 173? 
Uh, I don't know. What does the estimator say? But you could. I don't know. Let's see. LSATdemon.com slash scholarships. Yep. We don't get a... Um... Ooh, this is slick. 4.0168. Let's start with that. Okay. Uh, UVA, mm, less than half. Northwestern, less than half. Yeah. Let's bump that up to a 173. UVA, full tuition. Full tuition. Wow. <laughs> Northwestern, more than full tuition. Hmm. Jay. Are you going to make 150000 or $200,000 in the next couple months? If you are, then good on you. And why are you even thinking about law school? Because you're killing it in some other field. <laughs> no need for you to go practice law. But if you're not going to make a couple hundred grand in the next couple months, you should be studying for the LSAT, dude. You really need to retake this test. I'm glad you like the show. I'm glad you've become an avid listener. I'm glad you like our admissions tips. Ben and I are going to be 100% on the same page on this one. You need five more LSAT points. It's going to be worth at least 100 grand. At least. Plus interest. <laughs> Plus starting your career from a better place with a 168. I don't know. You might get denied at UVA. You certainly could. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be below their 25th percentile LSAT. I'm pretty sure. Or at least close to their 25th percentile LSAT. Yeah. You know, they're going to be like 4.0. Great. STEM. Great. 168. We have to report that. That's public information. That's not an elite LSAT score. All you got to do, Jay, if you're not already perfect on the games, make sure you're perfect on the games. If you don't know the difference between a necessary assumption question and a sufficient assumption question, that's frequently the difference between a 168 and a 170. Um, boy, there's lots you can do there to squeeze out a few more points, and it's just worth so much money, like ridiculous money. Yeah. Okay. Um, ignore Ignore these stupid rankings for IP law. Like if you, no matter what you want to practice, just go to a better school and go for free. Uh, I think we've already answered that last question. Thanks, Jay. Yeah. Want to wrap it up there, Ben? Yeah. Excellent. You can be LSAT famous. Uh, get yourself on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com. If you have any questions about the LSAT demon, you can email help at lsatdemon.com. That was episode 305 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. Bye.